Welcome to episode 204 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week my guest is Christina Madison. Christina served in the Air Force as a civil engineer and her story had a lot of commonalities with mine and so it was interesting to hear how hard it was to become a mom and continue to serve in the military and what eventually led to her leaving the military and switching to the reserves. She also found that her passion wasn't engineering, which is a theme that resonated in my life as well, and she now runs a group to support women, veterans, and service women, and it's called Strong and Resilient Women, Movement and Mindset for the Military Community. So I have it linked in the show notes so you can go check it out, but before we get started with this week's interview, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Thank you to Shy Evans for sponsoring this week's episode. Shy Evans' book, What Happens at Grammys, Stays at Grammys, is a fun yet real take on military deployment through the eyes of eight-year-old Savannah. When Savannah's parents get deployed to Afghanistan for a year, she must decide whether to accept the love and support from her Grammy, who seems to get them into one shenanigan after another. She learns it is okay to trust others and it's okay to laugh at yourself, especially while getting chased by a dog in a wheelchair. So get your copy of What Happens at Grammys Stays at Grammys at www.shi-verse.com or wherever books are sold. And now let's get started with this week's interview. Welcome to the show, Christina. I'm excited to have you here. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? When I went to college, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do when I grew up. I went to school for engineering, so I thought I was going to be an engineer working for some company. And I, I did a couple internships and I was like, you know what? This is not as fun as I thought it would be. Let me join the military. That's a good idea. And so I joined ROTC halfway through college. And initially the plan was to just do the first couple of years. And then four years turned into six. And the rest is history. And what branch of the military did you do ROTC with? So I did ROTC with the Air Force. And then I served six years active duty in Air Force. And then uh, from there, I transitioned to the Air Force Reserves, which I'm currently serving in. And when did you transition out of the Air Force to the Reserves? I think it was in 2018 is when I made that transition. Four-ish years, right? Yeah, time flies. <laughs> right. Okay, so we're going to jump back to your time in ROTC. So you said you were going to school for engineering and you weren't really that interested. So did you continue with engineering when you joined ROTC or did you switch to a different major? I kept the same major. I, I kept going with uh, mechanical engineering. And at the time, you know, in RTC, they want you to choose your career field. And so it really as an engineer, you, you get two career fields to choose from if you don't want to fly. And so I got to choose between being a civil engineer, which is more base maintenance and being a developmental engineer, which is for the really nerdy 10 pound brain people. And I'm like, let me do the civil engineering because <laughs> I can handle construction. But I knew I wasn't one of those like, super intelligent engineers. I'm like an average engineer, which is okay with me. And so I went the civil engineering route um, because I knew I wanted to work with airmen. I knew I wanted to lead and supervise, which there's less of an opportunity for 
before as a developmental engineer. Um, you're more like in a lab, you know, developing future technology and, and awesome stuff. And so I went the civil engineering route so that I could work with people and um, I could put my engineering skills to work, but didn't have to be a, a super, super nerd in order to be successful. No offense to the super nerds out there. I have mad respect for you, uh, but I know my limits. And so civil engineering was what I ended up going with. My husband's a developmental engineer. So it's kind of funny because he actually does a lot more managing of projects and he's like a manager and it's not as much of the engineering part. Like he got to go to get his master's at AFIT and get engineering electrical engineering doing that but now he's like kind of rusty because he mainly manages people and so very different than the civil engineering which is like hands-on working with airmen watching like construction projects come together but it's kind of funny because it's like he doesn't really do engineering anymore and now he's not even in the air force he's in the space force but yeah there are like two tracks developmental or civil and i did civil too so It'll be fun to talk about your training. So you picked civil, and then when you commissioned, did you go to your first base? Well, I did not right away. Um, after I commissioned, they they have a period of where they can bring you on active duty, and there's it's a max of 365 days, right? And so they took 363 days to bring me on active duty. So during that time, I was a nanny. I got married. I, um, you know, I worked some odd jobs. I was a receptionist. I did some like weird random jobs. And uh, then I finally, a year later, reported to my first base, which was Herbert Field, rough first assignment, I know, in the panhandle of Florida. And my husband was stationed at, at Pensacola at the time. So we were able to live together. We were able to be together, which was nice. And uh, yeah, my first assignment was at Herbert Field. What a fun place to be. It was awesome. So did you go to... So that's just crazy that they're like, and now wait a year. Yep. Yep. Kind of like a year of limbo. It's like you can't really get a job because you're joining the military. And then you had lots of stuff going on. You got married. Did you move to Florida before? Because I mean, a year, it's not like a few months. It's a long time. Yeah, it was a long time. So after college, I, I made the move back in with my parents. It was super fun um, to go from having four years of freedom to all of a sudden living with your mom and dad again. So we uh, that was interesting. After I got married, which was probably six months after graduation, I did move down to Florida with my husband. So we just hung out. I hung out and kind of did the stay-at-home wife thing for a little while. And then after a few weeks, I was like, I'm bored out of my mind. I need to get a job. And so I went through a temp agency to get that receptionist job and they were willing to just take me on for a few months. And yeah, I had to get creative because I knew that eventually the Air Force would be like, okay, it's time. And But at the same time, I needed something to, to do during the day. I needed to make some money. I needed to go to work. And so, yeah, that's that's what we ended up doing. Did you know from like when you commissioned that it would be that long or was it kind of like every couple of months you got an update? Oh, you're still waiting. I did not know it would be that long. Yeah. It's crazy because I went active duty like less than a month after I commissioned and my husband and I had been separated because he commissioned the year before me. So I was like looking forward to hanging out with him and they were like, no, nope, you're going to active duty and you're going straight to Alabama. And I was like, 
right. I don't want to go back to Tubi yet. So, but it all worked out. It's just kind of, it's like, that's the extreme. It could be like within a couple weeks of going active duty uh, or commissioning that you go on active duty, or it could be up to a year, which is just kind of crazy. So you finally went on active duty, and did you go to the civil engineer school in Ohio? I sure did. Yeah, a couple months after commissioning, they sent me off to 101, which is the uh, the civil engineer tech school, if you will, for officers, and um, spent nine weeks. Uh, well, I spent eight weeks in Ohio, and then they send you down to Tyndall for a week. And so that was a good time. Got to meet a lot of other lieutenants in the career field, people that I ended up running into again and again and again throughout my time as an engineer. Um, I'd actually deployed with a few of them. And so it was a great experience. I actually enjoyed 101. Um, It was hard work, but I met a lot of really great people and uh, we had a good time. Yeah, my, my experience was the same, especially the part like, hey, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of hard work. And then you keep running into the same lieutenants that you meet because they're the lieutenants that are in your class. And so as people stay in, you see them in different places and you're like, hey, I know you. And then you stay connected on Facebook and watch them go off on their own adventures. It's kind of cool. Exactly. You said you went on a deployment. How quickly after that training was the deployment? It was a couple years later. Um, So I finished up my assignment at... Hurlburt Field, um, I PCS to Mountain Home in Idaho. And that's where I went on my deployment. So I, I went to tech school in 2012. And then I deployed in 2015. So the rest of the time that you were at Hurlburt, you weren't deployed. Did you go TDY? Or, or what was your main job um, while you were there in Florida? Yeah. So as a lieutenant engineer, civil engineer, they're kind of like, it's your time to just learn. Um, Normally they rotate you around the different jobs. So I did some project programming. I did some project management. um, I even did some time as a section commander. So they definitely kind of moved me around from place to place. I, I got to do some immersion. You know, you get to hang out with the shops, get to spend a day with the plumbers, spend a day with the electricians and get to know the different shops. So I spent a lot of my time at Hurlburt just kind of walking around with giant eyes being like, what is this? What's happening? What am I doing here? Why am I in this meeting? And then once I PCS to Mountain Home, that's when I really started to kind of get my feet under me. I started to um, have more longevity in the jobs that I was put in. And I, I think they kind of humored me during my time at Hurlburt Field. I don't know if I actually like accomplished anything while I was there, <laughs> but I really feel like I kind of came into my own in my next assignment at Mountain Home. Yeah, that sounds very similar to what my experience as a lieutenant was at in New Mexico and that they just like sent you out to the shops and then you were in one job and then you were in another job and they were just trying to get you familiar with like the whole squadron so maybe I'm sure that you accomplished more than you think but you it also like built a strong foundation for the next transition so when you moved to your next assignment were you able to PCS with your husband 
Yes, fortunately. We had been separated for a good amount of the time of me being at Hurlburt. He was a flyer, so he actually went on to his follow-on um, B course where um, he was stationed at Seymour Johnson in North Carolina, and I stayed in Florida. So we had actually been separated for about a year when we got a joint assignment to Mountain Home, which was great. So we got to move together. Um, we were together most of that assignment, except for our double deployments, um, which overlapped a tiny bit but not very much. Um, so yeah, we, we got to be together most of the time that we were in a uh, mountain home. Yeah. That's a complicated part of being dual military is the separation. And like you touched on it, you guys got stationed together, but before that you were separated. He was at his training, you were still in Florida. And then, um, you guys finally got to be together. And then it sounds like you deployed. And then right before you got home, he deployed, or was it the other way around? I deployed first. Um, he left three months later. Uh, we were both deployed at the same time for about three months. I came home and then he came home about four months later. So all in all, we were separated about 10-ish months between our two deployments. And where did you go for your deployment? I went to good old Al-Udeed. That was super fun. And I did not get to travel. I was at Al-Udeed the whole time, the whole six months. Um, I was a part of the uh, base civil engineer squadron while I was there. But we did get to see a little bit of the sites. We traveled to Doha and got to you know, enjoy the, the city a little bit. But yeah, it was six months of Al-Udeed. And was there any like cool projects that you got to work on while you were there? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I was the chief of construction while I was there. So I supervised all of the project managers for the projects that were happening at Al-Udeed. Um, and so we spent, I'm trying to think of what projects we had going on at the time. Everything was kind of a hot mess. Like everything was a dumpster fire when we got there. <laughs> None of the projects were on time. They were all very behind. Um, all of the contractors were struggling to <laughs> move things forward. I do remember that we were finishing up a lot of the um, the BPC dorms while I was there. Those were obviously large scale, but if you've been to LUD, you know there's two sides. There's the side with all the trailers um, that are, it's pretty small, pretty run down. We were in the process of taking down all the tents when we were there. There were no more tents, um, but you have the the CC trailer side and then you have the, the BPC, which is like the big hardened dorms. And so we were working on finishing those. A, a couple of them had gotten old, so we were replacing HVAC units on some of them because HVAC units go fast in Al-Udeed. So yeah, we spent a lot of time working on that side because that was supposed to be like the long-term enduring construction side of the base with the uh, the BPC dorms, the DFAC there, the, the gym over there. And so yeah, we had some projects that were improving those dorms, building those dorms, taking down the tents, um, working on HVAC, working on water systems uh, to support that area. So that was pretty cool. And what year was that? Like It was the last half of 2015. It's just crazy because when I was in the military, like my civil engineer unit deployed right before I got to my base and they went to Al-Udeed and that was in 2007. And to think about like, you're like, and we were taking down tents. And I was like, I bet those temporary structures had been there forever and they probably replaced them with new temporary structures and they were finally getting around to building more permanent structures. It's kind of crazy how much time we were there and 
how much work still had to be done by the civil engineering squadron. Yes, those those trailers on the CC side were supposed to last like five years. I'm pretty sure people are still living in them and they're like 15, 20 years old now. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Was your husband, did he ever come through IED? He did. Yeah. So we actually got to spend Thanksgiving together, which was really neat because he was stationed at another base and they send one person from the squadron to LUD for two week rotations to do the liaison job. So he came through LUD for two weeks. So we got to be together for Thanksgiving. We got to spend a little bit of time together, which was really nice. It was right about the halfway point of our double deployments. So we got to spend some time to reconnect and, and that kind of helped us get through the last half of that separation. Yeah. And what was it like to stay connected? I mean, it's 2015. So like I deployed in 2010 when like, I was, (laughs) I feel like technology, we still use Skype and like the MWR computers. And I know things have changed a lot. So what was it like to stay connected? Were you able to stay connected? Or did you rely on emails or FaceTime? Yeah, so we had it pretty good. Wi-Fi was in most of the dorms at that point. So we were able to use like Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, like we had all of those social apps that allowed us to communicate and text. And so, yeah, I would say we didn't have to rely on just emails. We were able to talk on the phone maybe like once or twice a week when our schedules lined up because he was flying. So his schedule was crazy. He was flying nights most of the time. And so our schedules never really lined up, but we were able to stay in touch mostly through those social apps and talking on the phone, maybe like twice a week. Yeah. It's funny how much the technology has changed in not very long, like in less less than 20 years, so much stuff has changed. And when I left Bagram in 2010, they like finally had Wi-Fi in the transitionatory tents that we were staying in. And it was so nice to like be able to use my laptop and sit anywhere and just talk instead of like having to fight over a computer in the MWR so that you could get on the internet. So it's it's good that they've made those changes because it makes it a lot easier to stay connected. Absolutely. Yeah, I was very thankful for that Wi-Fi because I did a lot of my master's degree while I was deployed. <laughs> Yeah, that's another thing. Like, I could have used my office computer in the evening if I had wanted to do school, but having that flexibility of having Wi-Fi so that you could do, yeah, that would make a big difference because it did limit how much availability you had on the computers because who wants to be at their desk all day? (laughs) Not me. I did it from the comfort of my room, which was really nice. So that's a good aspect to talk about, like, how much like technology and changing it didn't only just help with like keeping people connected but it also like gives you more options and opportunities to do different things definitely so you came home from your deployment and then your husband came home a few months later what was it like to transition back to both of you being back together and working and in the military Yeah, it was good. We didn't have as hard time as I know some people do. I know sometimes the reintegration phase can be really difficult. Um, But we kind of just fell into a new routine. You know, we were both really busy. We were both captains at the time. So we had a lot going on at work. And so we made it work. Uh, We both had very busy schedules, but we made time for each other. We tried to spend the weekends together and the evenings together as much as possible. But yeah, we had a pretty easy time 
reintegrating, I think mostly because we didn't have kids at the time. Um, I know having a schedule with kids, that's a whole different experience. So it was really just us and our dogs. And so, you know, we kind of just reestablished, okay, these are your chores. These are my chores. Um, we try to spend these times together. But yeah, we, d- we didn't have too hard of a time. And then before we knew it, it was time to PCS again. So then everything is gets crazy again and we have to reorganize our schedules again and kind of find a new normal again. So yeah, it was, it was kind of just, we fell into a new routine after we both got home from deployment and we made it work. So you mentioned PCSing. So did you PCS again a few, like a few months or a few years after you got home? Yeah. So we got back in 2016. We were both back from our deployments and then we PCSed in the summer of 2017. And then we PCSed uh, to Seymour Johnson in North Carolina, so drove all the way across the country. Um, I was 30 weeks pregnant at the time. Do not recommend. <laughs> but yeah, that was our that was our final PCS as a joint spouse couple. At Seymour Johnson is where I left active duty to go into the reserves, and that was his final active duty assignment as well. He separated a few years after me. And then we made our final move where to where we are now in uh, Las Vegas, but that was not military sponsored. Um, that was sponsored by my husband's new civilian employer. And so Seymour Johnson was kind of our last dual mill and military assignment for both of us. Yeah. So let's talk about, you said you were 30 weeks pregnant. So that means you became a mom shortly after your new assignment. So what was that transition like to go from, like you talked about before kids, you guys like had your schedule and like you had the dogs and you guys were able, and then you added a baby and how did that change your life? It was really hard. (laughs) It was really a challenging transition. I was used to being very independent, having a lot of my own personal free time, um, being able to do what I want, when I wanted. And that is not the case when you have a newborn. <laughs> you, your time is really no longer yours. You have a, a tiny human that's dependent on you. And at the time, my husband was going through an instructor upgrade. So he was incredibly busy working long hours. And so a lot of it fell to me. And I, I think as a result of kind of my personality and also the challenges that I was going through at the time. I ended up experiencing some postpartum depression, some postpartum anxiety. Um, So it took me a long time to really get the hang of being active duty, being a mom. I don't know if I ever truly got the hang of it, but I, I never felt truly comfortable in those periods after having a baby. It's, you know, you have the maternity leave where you're supposed to be relaxing, but you don't know what you're doing. And this baby is, you know, really hard and you're trying to figure out being a first time mom. And then all of a sudden your maternity leave is over and you're expected to go back to full-time work and you send the kid to daycare and it's these big adjustments after big adjustments. And so I don't know if I ever truly settled into a routine after that. And I think that probably played a role in my decision to separate from active duty. But yeah, that's a really hard transition. And and it's like trying to figure out your new identity as a mom and trying to figure out how do I make these identities of, you know, a service member and a mom and you as a person all work together. And it it took me quite, I think it probably took me about two years to figure that out after having a baby, um, how to integrate all those aspects of my personality and uh, figure out 
that balance of me time versus family time versus work time. And I think that's probably the struggle we all face as we try to figure out how to be an airman and a mom and make time for ourselves. And and that had a lot to do with the path that I chose after active duty. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you talk about it because I left active duty when my first son was born. And a lot of like, sometimes I'm like, if I had just stayed in the military, it would have been easy. And like, you're talking about like so many of the like emotional struggles that I dealt with. I mean, I was struggling with like, who am I now that I'm out of the military? But it's interesting that even though you stayed in the military, you still have those questions like, who am I now now that I'm a mom and a service member? And like, how do I figure that out? And it took me a long time to figure out like who I was and where I was going and all those things, because I think it's a big transition. And I don't think enough people talk about like how complicated and like how emotionally challenging it can be. We just kind of like stuff it down and push forward partly because we don't have time. We're moms. We have to like take care of our life and our kids and, you know, our job. And so it's like, why don't we just keep pushing forward and not really stop? So I, I really appreciate you being vulnerable and talking about that because it's so important to talk about like, it doesn't matter what path you choose. Like, it's hard like your experience was hard my experience was hard and they were so different yeah absolutely agree and um you know I think it's important that we we talk about this kind of stuff because like you said um we just have to figure it out and we never really talk about it and I think that can be isolating for a lot of people I know being a military mom was really lonely because I was the only one in my little group of CGOs that was a mom Everyone else was either single or married with no kids. And all of a sudden I felt very isolated, very alone. And when we don't talk about it, it's even more isolating and you feel even more alone. And it's like, am I alone in my struggles and to figure out my identity? And it turns out, you know, you and I both struggled with that question. And so I imagine there are a lot of other moms out there that have struggled with that same question. And and I think that question comes up when we become a mom or even when we leave the military, that question comes up like, who am I outside of this role that I've been serving in for so long? And that can be a really difficult question to answer if we haven't done a lot of that self-awareness introspective type work, which we probably haven't because we've been busy (laughs) doing other things, taking care of tiny humans and getting the mission done. And so, yeah, I think taking time to do that, that harder, inner, deeper work is important in our journey towards integrating all aspects of ourselves. Yeah. And I think it's even more challenging for women veterans because the military so often like tells you like, this is what you're going, this is what you're doing, this is who you are. And so when you have to like figure out how to make that all work and you're struggling, like nobody give, they try and give you a manual with a baby, like here's a book to read, but like each baby is different, each parent is different, and you have to find like what works for you. And so it was really hard for me to go from like, these are the rules, you follow them. And this is how you get the mission done. And like, I attacked my child as like, you're a mission, I have to get you done. Like, I have to get you to sleep through the night. And <laughs> yes, it, that doesn't work in the real world when you're like dealing with a human who is a real person and has their own needs and their own, you know, all the different things. And so I think that's really interesting to talk about because I was yeah I was so like this is how we do it and then he was like no you know he's a baby he didn't say no but he cried a lot and let me know no this isn't how we do it yes absolutely I relate to that so much because I think back to 
being a first time mom and, and trying to do everything by the book. It's like trying to take a TO out and follow the TO. Like, where's, where's the TO on this kid? <laughs> Who's going to, how do I do this? How do I perform maintenance on this baby? And it's, it's not like that. You know, there's a lot of intuition that goes into parenthood and raising a baby. And I don't know about your experience, but we didn't spend a whole lot of time on intuition when I was in the military. There's, there's not a whole lot of, room for intuition and trusting yourself and gut feelings. And it's a lot of following AFIs, following guidance, following policy, following TOs. And, and there's, you know, step by step by step by step. And so I had that approach to motherhood, just like you, where it's like, okay, it's sleep training time. You're four months. So now it's time to sleep train. And I'm going to follow this step, this step, this step. Why is this not working? Well, because just like you said, every baby is different and parenting is so different than approaching things as like, this is a mission that I have to get done and needs to follow these steps and this order. And it's like managing a project, you know, when you expect everything to go on schedule. And this baby is like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to follow my own schedule and uh, good luck with that, that, that approach that you're using. And, you know, at the time that we're recording this podcast together, I just had another baby and my approach this time has been very different than the first time around because I've had that separation from that military life. And, you know, the second time around, you're a little bit smarter. You're a little bit more street smart in the ways of parenting. And I just noticed such a difference in my overall mentality, my overall feelings, my overall emotional state um, this time around because I haven't approached it as a mission to complete, but instead like seeing the tiny human in front of me. And I don't know if you've had the same experience with future iterations, but it's it's definitely been different this time around. Yeah, I really connect with what you're saying because, yeah, with my second child, I could actually like enjoy it. It wasn't like hit this milestone, check this box. It was like, be a baby and please don't grow up and then we'll just enjoy it along the way. And so it's been it was such a different experience. And now that I didn't, like, I, the first kid, they just change you so much. But I feel like it was more enjoyable for me. And I enjoyed being a mom and watching the different things happen. And I didn't put so much pressure on myself to, like, make my kid do what he was going to do whenever he was going to do it anyways. <laughs> and it didn't have anything to do with me. And so it, it was night and day different and a much different experience. And now mine are six and nine so they're not babies anymore and they're growing up and I'm like you can stop now (laughs) stop growing just stay this age forever not really but it's been really fun because even like that mentality of like like how I was with my first like it's translated into like how I parent today and so I'm much more laid back and more willing to like allow them to figure out what they need to figure out in these stages because they continually keep growing and learning and so trying to find that balance of not you know being the checklist person and being like their mom and helping them absolutely yeah and uh yeah I feel like this time around I've been so much more connected to who I am as a person instead of what I thought I needed to do in order to do it right and Having done some of that inner work that I mentioned earlier between my two children, I think really 
played a huge role. I've, you know, I've been in therapy. I've been working with a life coach. You know, I've, I've made big changes in my personal life to pursue a life that I feel more fulfilled in and more purpose-driven in. And I think all of that has worked together to really allow me to have this different experience where there's way less anxiety. You know, I haven't experienced any postpartum depression at all this time around. And and really just to be present in those moments um, and to approach parenting more mindfully and not taking every cry personally, not, you know, judging myself, being able to show myself compassion and kindness in this next phase. And there, obviously there are still days where I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Why is he still crying? But for the most part, I've really been able to be a more present, mindful, and joyful mom this time around um, because of the work that I've been able to do personally and the, the topics that I've studied in the past several years um, have really allowed me to enjoy this time much more than I did the first time around. Yeah, it's still hard, but it's more enjoyable. I, I like that. Yeah, that was definitely, it was still hard. I'm not going to say that like being a mom, especially of infants is really hard. Totally. They get more fun and easier the older they get. So let's talk a little bit about your transition. So you were talking about like where you are today, but like, let's talk a little bit about like transitioning out of the Air Force and switching over to the reserves and and how you ended up on the journey that you took to get to where you are today. Yeah. So in uh, 2017, my daughter was born. Um, I became a mom. In 2018 is when I made the transition from active duty to reserves. And a lot of things played into that decision. Most of all, it was important to me to for my child and future children to always have at least one parent around. And so the personal decision for me, and I know everyone makes different decisions and they make the decision that's right for them and their family. I I knew that being active duty for me wasn't right the, the right decision anymore because I was already looking at my next deployment. I was getting hot for a one-year short tour. And I was like, I just don't want to do any of that. So for me, the right decision was to transition out of active duty service. Transitioning to the reserves was interesting and weird and good at the same time. You know, I've really enjoyed being in the reserves the past couple of years, but I wanted something that would give me an opportunity to serve, but to do so in a more flexible and not so time intensive way. And so the reserves has given me that. I still get to serve. I still get to interact with my unit regularly, but I don't have to be there seven to five, five days a week, but really seven days a week, 365 days a year. And so now, you know, in the time period after leaving active duty, I tried civil service. Um, I, I was a GS employee um, for that, my same squadron at Seymour Johnson. I did that for a year and a half. And that's actually when I hit my lowest low. That's when I hit the the height of my anxiety, the the lowest of, I wouldn't say I was like clinically depressed, but I was, I was in a pretty bad place and it took a lot of work to pull myself out of that pit of just having panic attacks of being very unhappy, um, very stressed, you know, going out to my car in the middle of the day and just crying, calling my mom and crying. And I think it had a lot to do with the fact that I was taking really 
crappy care of myself. I was trying to do everything for everyone, serving my husband, serving my daughter, serving this job, which was very stressful and, and very time consuming. And there was no really time left over for me and, and my wellness and my self-care. And so I eventually made the really difficult decision to quit my job. And that was scary because that had been my safety net after leaving active duty. I still had, you know, I still had a role in the military. I still had importance, if you will. I still had value in my full-time job. And um, I still had that identity of, you know, I'm a, I'm a working mom. I'm a provider. I, you know, I'm in service to the military. And all of a sudden, all of that was coming into question with my decision to leave full-time work and pr pursue entrepreneurship. So that transition was really challenging. It's like a redefining of your identity and trying to, again, integrate all the different aspects of, okay, I'm a mom, I'm kind of a service member, but not really, you know, I'm, I'm serving in a new way. And now I'm an entrepreneur, but my business is just getting started. I'm not making money anymore. So do I have value? And all of these like inner turmoil, inner voices. And that took a long time for me to work through. I worked with coaches. I, you know, went through some, some business coaching and Eventually, I was able to realize that I really had a desire to serve women in the military community just in a different way. And so over several iterations and a lot of mistakes and failed attempts, I established the community Strong and Resilient Women, which is a, a Facebook community for women in the military community. And my goal was to give them a different experience than I had not an experience of depletion, of exhaustion, of burnout, of loneliness, but instead establishing a community where we can do better for ourselves, practicing self-care, setting boundaries, saying no to things, um, making decisions that align with our values, and ultimately doing that in a way where we're connected with other women on the same journey. And um, that's been really gratifying, really fulfilling, and has allowed me to have a job that I love doing every day, which is a new experience for me. I didn't have that um, during my time in the military. It was okay. You know, you wake up and you're like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll go to work and I'll see my coworkers and it'll be fine. But I was never like, wow, I absolutely just adore what I do. And I was so jealous of the other people that were like, I love being a civil engineer and this is the best. And I'm like, eh, I want to feel that way too. Uh, but I never did. And it was ultimately because I wasn't serving in my true purpose but I'm doing that now and it feels super good and it allows me to be a better parent. It allows me to be a better wife. It allows me to be a better human because I feel so fulfilled and, and joyful in the work that I get to do every day. That's so awesome. And I'm going to link to the Facebook group in the show notes so that people can find it easily and then I'm going to go join it. That sounds so amazing. And I love how you're working to provide community because I feel like as women veterans, we can get really isolated and we need that community. And so the fact that you're out there creating it for us is just amazing. I appreciate that. It's been it's been really awesome to see women connect and, and actually, you know, because of this community, Community, friendships have been established. You know, I see people at other bases connecting because they met through the group or they met through one of my programs. 
And, you know, people will come through, I live in Vegas. And so people will come through Vegas and they'll reach out and be like, Hey, I'm in Vegas for this TDY. Do you want to meet up? And so I get to meet members of this community too, that I, I wouldn't have met otherwise. And I think that connection and community is so important because you're right as a service member, as a veteran, as a reservist, as, you know, any aspect of a woman in the military community, it can be very lonely. And loneliness is a really dangerous experience for our mental health, um, for our physical health, for our emotional health. And so when we get to be connected, when we get to establish those meaningful connections and, and meaningful relationships with other women that are going through similar things as us, we're able to do things a little bit differently. We're able to reach out for help. We're able to connect and um, not go through some of these more difficult experiences alone. We get to do it with others. Yeah, it sounds amazing. So go check out her Facebook group. It's linked to in the comments. Can you say it again? Sure. It's called Strong and Resilient Women. So I always like to end the interview with what advice would you give to a young woman who's considering joining the military? That's a great question. I would say my advice would be kind of what we talked about already is to 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 look within you know, to before you join, ask yourself, what's important to me? What are my values? What's my why? To really get in touch with that, that identity piece, like who am I and, and what do I value? So that, you know, if you do decide to join the military, you have that established already. Because when you go into the military and you don't have that established, the military is going to fill that void for you. It's going to give you your values. It's going to give you your priorities, which may align, but may also not align with what you actually value and prioritize. And so if you have that established beforehand, you can go into your time period of service in the military confident in the fact that you will be able to make decisions that align with what's important to you, that you'll be able to choose opportunities, careers, assignments, short tours, deployments, and and choose the interactions within those milestones. Choose your choices, if you will, with intention, with purpose, and not to just be caught up in the the ocean wave that can be the military culture. When you have that those things established ahead of time, you're that rock in the middle of the the buffeting ocean and you can say, "Yes, I I choose that" or "No, I don't choose that." Um, or "No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to tolerate that behavior because this is what I believe or this is what I stand for." And so I think, you know, if you do that work before joining the military, you're going to have uh, a much more powerful experience. Yeah, that's really great advice. While you're talking, I was thinking Tahin was on the podcast in June, in June, and uh, she talked about how like she knew that she wanted to do this certain job in the military. And so like when a general that she got to tour, tour the base was like, what do you want to do? She's like, I wanted to do this. And like, if I had been in the same situation, I'd be like, I don't know, I just want to serve in the military. And like, that general was able to get her that job and open doors that would never have opened had she not like known what she wanted to do. And so I think it's really important that you do that self-reflection and you know who you are because you don't know what opportunities, what experiences will come up and like having your boundaries and also knowing what you want to do can really help push you in the right direction. So that's really great advice. 
So thank you so much for being a guest. I've really enjoyed getting to talk to you and I'm really excited to connect with you and join your Facebook group. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation and I appreciate uh, being able to speak to your amazing audience. Thanks so much for listening to this week's interview. I'm really thankful that you took the time to listen to this episode. And I wanted to tell you about two resources that may help you in your journey of military service. And so the first is my new book, A Girl's Guide to Military Service, which is available at the link in the show notes on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You can go check it out. It's A Girl's Guide to Military Service. It's meant to help you answer all your questions about military life and give you a firm foundation for the start of your career. And you should also, and if you're looking for mentorship or want to be a mentor, please check out the Women of the Military Mentorship Program, which is also linked to in the show notes. You can sign up to be a mentee or a mentor. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.